Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Today, I have John and Micah, the host of the City Square Podcast on the show. We're going to discuss eschatology, which is something we haven't focused too much on with the Bad Roman. So let's get into it a little bit. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left. Micah, how are you doing? I am doing well, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. This is my first time to ever get to speak with you. I've, I've known John for a little while through uh, social media. But other than that, this is my first time getting to meet you. But um, before we introduce John, why don't you give me a little bit of background of yourself, whatever you want folks to know about you. Well, I'm sorry. You've known John for long. Um, <laughs> I understand that statement. <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Micah. I am... I'm husband, father, I've got two kids, uh, lovely wife. I grew up in the Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist tradition for the most part, um, until I was kind of last couple of years of college. And I started moving out of that tradition into just more broadly evangelical and philosophy. Spent a few, spent about 10 years in kind of a semi-reformed mega church and, uh, about three years of study, studying the church, some of the church fathers, studying historical theology, um, started leading me out of that into a more kind of historical denomination. So I ended up in the LCMS, the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, otherwise known as a confessional Lutheran. I'm a corporate drone, you could say, um, in comparison to John, who's a uh, flying by the seat of his pants out there and by himself. So yeah, I work, uh, I manage a sales ops team for a large healthcare corporation. One of the, one of the managers there, we deal with um, some of our larger accounts, pays the bills. I enjoy it. What else? I enjoy mowing my lawn because that's one of the few um, hobbies that dads and fathers are allowed to have in the suburbs. (laughs) (laughs) John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, man, I uh, didn't grow up in the church, came into the faith and, uh, college. Uh, God saved me when I was a freshman in, in college through a parachurch uh, Baptist student ministry. I took college at the time to actually figure out kind of like what the, what the faith is, learn the basics, kind of kind of go from there. And then a few years into it, I kind of started getting uh, wrapped into a uh, reformed theology and uh, that kind of thing. And um, haven't really strayed away from that. So I've just kind of been getting deeper and more deeper into the Reformed traditions, went and uh, planted a church out in West Texas, rural West Texas, back in 2015. And then around uh, 2022, uh, moved out here to uh, San Antonio and uh, been living out here for about 18 months now. And about a, a month or so ago, started a elder candidacy at the church that we joined uh, since we've been here. Back in uh, 2018, I started my own business, designing websites, did that because I wanted to uh, do bivocational ministry. 
But before all the, the COVID stuff happened, took over, I went full time with the business. Everything in that field went really well during COVID. And um, my wife was able to go full time with it as well. So we both operated out of the house. And now we are still doing it. But now we've we don't just we design websites, host websites, manage social media, and uh, we've been doing podcast production for a while now as well. Nice. Yeah, I didn't, I, I guess did not know that you moved to San Antonio. For some reason, I was still thought you were in West Texas. You know, like we were talking before we started recording. I grew up in West Texas. Spent a, a lot of my very younger years. You know, there's not a lot to do out in West Texas, so you try to go find things to do out in West Texas when you're a kid. And living in Grape Creek, Texas, there was a, they called it a mountain. It was Mount Nebo. It was not a mountain. It was just a giant hill. <laughs> and we'd go run around on, on this chasing horny toads and, and try not to get bit by rattlesnakes. And one day we got chased off there by a, a, a park ranger of some sort. I don't know what he was. He had a badge. And he told us we weren't, we weren't supposed to be up there, but we were back up there the next day. Then we build our own tree, our you know, little clubhouses and stuff out there smoking cigarettes until we got caught doing that from mom. And we, she put a stop to that. <laughs> Everything we were trying to find to do out there was not uh, what you're supposed to be doing, but a lot of boredom. Thankfully, our aunt and uncle lived right across the street from us, and they had a swimming pool. So when it was hot outside, we always had somewhere to go swimming, which is always good. And before we get into uh, eschatology, John, I got to I gotta ask you uh, what your problem with the Dallas Cowboys is, first of all, because <laughs> I see this on social media. And I don't know if you're, if you're a fan of a team or not, or you just watch football to pick on Dallas Cowboy fans. It's uh, I guess it's kind of all the above, man. I've uh, always been a 49ers fan. Okay, that explains it. So that's probably where part of it comes from, yeah. Cowboys have the worst fans, man. <laughs> Cowboys fans are the worst, worst fans. I don't know, man. I, have you ever met some Eagle fans? They're pretty rough. Eagles fans are pretty bad, man. Our producer lives in Pennsylvania, and she's from Texas, but she's not necessarily an Eagle fan. But when she was helping me with some stuff on Zencaster, and she was getting ready to go to a, an Eagle watch party, I think before the the NFC Championship game or something, and I was like, "Are you an, you're not an Eagle fan?" She goes, "No." I was like, "Okay," because I thought I was going to fire you because that was going to be a really tough relationship. And she <laughs> she goes, and I said, "I said some of the Eagle fans are just just so hard to deal with." And she goes, that's the whole East Coast, man. It's rough out here. It's rough. You know, it's just the whole – it's just like that out there. So, it's not just – maybe it's just the, the area, not just no, no, so much Eagle fans. But well, When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they ride it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they start riding before this year's Super Bowl, though? Didn't they yeah, start <laughs> – they, they started tearing the place up before the Super Bowl. What is going on with these people? John, have you seen Have you seen San Francisco? San Francisco is pretty bad. I'm not a fan of the city. I'm a fan of the team. Yeah, I'm a fan of the fan of the team's tradition. Why? I am very curious as someone who has never lived in San Francisco. Why on earth you would be a fan? When I was finally started getting into football when I was a little kid, because my dad's a diehard Packers fan, <laughs> and so when I told him I was going to be a Forty Nineers fan, he was he actually did get a suit on shirt. Like no joke, I overheard him telling my mom in the kitchen one day. But um, my dad was teaching me about football and sports. And uh, I think the 49ers won. And it was like Steve Young and Jerry Rice were on the team. And he was telling about like Joe Montana. He's telling about the catch and all that kind of fun stuff. Because in the 90s was when the Packers started getting good for the first time in like 30 years. And he said when the Packers sucked, he would watch the 49ers because they would always beat the Cowboys. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and so I was like, all right. I guess I'm a 49ers fan. Wait, how old are you? Because I remember back in the 90s when I, I went to an NFC Championship game, the Cowboys and 49ers played, and we whipped them to go the, when we, we went to the Super Bowl three out of four years. And when you said Cowboy fans are the worst, it's interesting when I hear that 
because we don't really ever concern ourselves with other teams. And, we're, you know, like I don't like the Eagles. That's my least favorite team, right? But I don't really concern myself with the 49ers or the Packers or unless we're playing them. But other than that, but for some reason, it's not just you, man. I see it across social media about the Cowboys. You know, people just, if they're not fans of the team, but they will just pick on the Cowboys. You don't hear them talking about the 49ers or the Packers or, you know what I'm saying? It's always the Cowboys. I cannot figure it out. And we just, we just don't, maybe that's, maybe we sound arrogant when we say, we just don't care about your team. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. I didn't, I forgot John. Cause I forget that Steve Young played for the 49ers. And what's really cool is I think I keep this just for John. I've got a Steve Young ball up there on the top with his his signature um, that was given to me by Steve Young. You know, I wasn't the only one he was handing them out to, but I'm going to pretend that I was for a second. <laughs> and I think I just keep that there just to remind John that even though I'm not really a football fan, I've got it there. Just just keep him close to me. It, it does bother me that ball really means nothing to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was really cool. I was honored to get it because I know he's a big deal. Do y'all live in the same area? We used to, but I'm in, I'm in DFW. Okay. So there's no way like if that ball comes up missing or something, you're not, you, you would know like it was where it's at probably. Well, I, John was supposed to visit me this year. So we'll see if, uh, if he manages to sneak it out while he's here. It'd be a good home. <laughs> Words cared about and <laughs> deeply cared about. All right. Let's uh, talk about eschatology a little bit because, like I mentioned before we started recording, I I was I always understood dispensationalism to be the thing that I didn't know there were other schools of thought on this. I don't I'm not familiar with A Mill or, or Pre Mill. Like I've watched one of y'all's episodes talking about this on a round table y'all had. I've heard about them in passing, but I never really took any time to get into them. And once I started getting in these uh, Christian anarchist circles and talking to folks who are outside of the Southern Baptist tradition, I spent a lot of time in Southern Baptist churches. So I would talk about the rapture or talk about pre-tribulation. I was a pre-trib guy, you know, so and and I remember I can't remember who I was talking to, but he was like, that stuff's not true. And it blew me away. Yeah, it blew me away because I did not. I. There was, I had a pastor in a Southern Baptist church I attended. There was not one Sunday that would go by that the rapture was not mentioned somewhere along during the sermon, or he maybe just talk about it the constantly, you know, and it definitely was brought up at the end whenever the altar call, you know, and if you leave here today and the rapture happens, are you going to heaven or if you, you know, that type of, that type of preaching and stuff. And so that's all I knew. That's that I, I didn't really ever bother to, to look that stuff up on my own. Because I just trusted the guys behind the pulpit telling me this, you know, and I just thought everybody believed this. It reminds me of a story of a time when I worked at the newspaper back when I lived in Arkansas. Very young, very long, very long time ago. I don't even know if these guys are still alive, but they're both Church of Christ. And I mentioned something to them about um, the rapture. We were talking about it, just hanging out at work. And they looked at me confused. They like Then one of them looked at the other. He goes, do you know what he's talking about? He goes, I have no idea what he's talking about. And that blew me away. I thought everybody knew what the rapture was and everybody was expecting the return of Christ. You know, he's going to, we're going to be caught up in the air. You know, you, you watch those uh, left behind movies and read those books and the, the your clothes hit the floor and you disappear. And <laughs> I was like, so, you know, that, you know, I believed all that stuff, but like I said, I didn't know there were other, other ideals out there like uh, the A mill or, or pre mill. So I want to talk about that a little bit, just just to for my own ignorance, really about about the topics because I don't know. One thing I've I've noticed when it came when I realized that okay, this dispensationalism school of thought is false. 
then I just didn't worry about it anymore. I didn't really not saying it's not important. It just didn't, this wasn't on my radar to talk about, you know, it's like, okay, so we'll just see what happens. You know, I don't think anybody really understands for sure what it's going to look like, but I just don't worry about it. You know, I trust uh, God and, and Jesus to uh, fulfill their promises, you know, so I don't, I just don't worry about it. But are you guys on the same page when it comes to this? Do y'all agree this, uh, with the same thing? Because if not, it would be kind of cool to kind of get both of y'all's perspectives on it. Or if so, maybe y'all can just explain both of them to me. John, do you want to start there? Or? I'll go ahead and start a little bit. I think for the most part, I think generally speaking, me and Micah are pretty close to the same page on here. So sorry to disappoint you on that. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, I will say this is probably what I consider my least informed aspects of my theology which is kind of interesting because the eschatology roundtables have been some fairly decent popular episodes that, that we have had. Like at least in the circles that I'm in right now, a lot of people are really enjoying talking about it or they're really curious. But one of the things that seems to be really common is, especially if you grew up, if you were involved in uh, some kind of evangelical circle or like some kind of like fundamentalist circle, almost everybody seems to have this story where they were taught dispensationalist eschatology and they didn't know it. And they, we, everybody seems to have thought that was just what everybody believed because that's all that they were around. And that seems to be a very common theme with a lot of people, which is really unfortunate. Like I didn't grow up in the church, but when I was saved, the people that I was, I was around a very generic, uh, Baptist evangelical circle, everything, it was just, you were just taught dispensationalism. That word probably wasn't really used, but that's just what you were taught to think. And I remember the ministry leaders, they would always get up there and they would always talk about the rapture. They would always talk about that, all that kind of stuff, man, about getting raptured and was your family going to be there with you and all that different kind of stuff. And this, like I just kind of shared a previous episode, like uh, one of the, the only time in the, the small town area that I was in in West Texas, the only time all those churches were able to get together and cooperate was when they wanted to show the youth and the college students the Left Behind series. And so they all managed to work together and not fight and put, show those stupid movies to us on Friday nights. And just to get everybody, all the kids scared. <laughs> and so like, I, I would tell people that the eschatology, that the view that best describes me is amillennialism. That is the most dominant view throughout all of Christian history. Dispensationalism wasn't invented until around the mid 1800s. And most people don't know that. And that should be alarming. Right. Well, you know, and when people were calling me a dispy in this, I didn't even, I didn't even know what that, like you said, they, they weren't calling it that in church. I didn't, I didn't, what is a dispy? It's kind of the same thing when people were calling me a neoconservative before I started getting into libertarianism and anarchy. I didn't know I was a neoconservative. I've never even been, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> it was the same thing. Like, nobody, you're right. Nobody was saying that in the churches. They weren't calling you dispensationalist. They're saying, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible teaches, you know, and they've got some verses that they can use to confuse you about it. But anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good, man. But that's a really common, and that's really common with, for a lot of people in their, and their stories. They just, they didn't know that's just what was being taught. And I mean, a lot of people don't grow up in around churches and ministries that want to equip you and they want to educate you. They don't generally, it's common for you to, to not be taught how to think critically and how to debate or be informed or how to read the Bible. It's very common for people just to be preached at mm -hmm. and being told what to think as opposed to like how to be discerning and which is actually really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would probably say like I'm an, I'm on mill most common view throughout all of church history. And so we're not people who are on mill and not 
concerned about the rapture, not concerned about being left behind. Uh, don't believe in a literal thousand years. Uh, we believe that the, the church age, which we're in now, is the thousand years, which is a more symbolic time frame, not a literal one. But yeah, man. All right. So, Micah, the ones you explain your stance, and then maybe y'all can explain to me what all mill is and what pre mill is. Because, I, like I said, y'all, if y'all are both on the same page about it, you can, you can explain it. But I don't know what it means when, you, when y'all say that. I've heard about it, like I said, in passing, but it never, it's not something I've ever really looked into. Yeah, like John said, Amil is um, the predominant view of church history. Majority of church fathers and you know medieval and other theologians um, held to something like that. There is some crossover. Some things are similar in um, the post mill and the Amil view, but really, there's the three main views. the The two mostly historical views that were found in the early church in most of the early church fathers were pre mill historic pre-mill and amill. Um, and they're all really the the main differences there are the timing of Christ's return. So amill, we don't expect a future literal thousand years, but rather view it as Christ is now reigning with his saints, and then he will at some point return. Post-mill Christian, uh, they would believe that Christ returns after the millennium, but they're system or view states that the world will get better and better. Um, essentially, we become more, we evangelize more of the world. It becomes more of a Christian, not necessarily a utopia, but you know, it becomes better. And then at some point Christ returns when he's, I don't want to, I don't want to straw man them. So, um, but you know, when, when it's at a certain point, then um, he returns. Pre-mill um, is he returns before the millennium. Um, and then of course the, the deviation there would be dispensationalism, which didn't come about until, you know, basically 18th century or 19th century America. So that splits Christ's return kind of into two parts. And they state that there is a rapture of the church. They remove the church, right? Christ comes, removes the church and thus removes his Holy spirit from the planet earth in some, to some degree. Then there's literal seven years of tribulation and, you know, Christ's return. I mean, that's just the broad generalities. There's all sorts of minor deviations in the dispensational system. Um, some people are, you know, post-trib. Some people are pre-trib. I grew up dispensational, pre-trib, pre-millennial, you know, in my Baptist church. So that's how I kind of grew up. But I came around to all millennials. I, like a you, I had no idea there was other options out there. In fact, when um, I was in probably my mid, mid years of high school, a local pastor that we were in fellowship with, like one of the kind of like-minded churches, started thinking that he basically moved to like a post-trib rapture view. Like I thought that was like denying the faith. Like that's, that's how big a rapture was, you know, because like you, I heard it mentioned an awful lot. Um, not as a club necessarily to beat people with, which I've heard of other people doing that, but it was more of like, you know, a carrot, if you will, for the church. It wasn't a stick, you know, to get people to believe, but it was a carrot for us. Oh, we're going to get out of here before the bad stuff really happens. Yeah, that's that was my understanding of it too. And I when I would listen to these, it, it was it, made, it terrified me, not for my own sake. I was like, well, I'm not, I don't even worry about it. I'm going to get raptured. I'm not worried about that. You know, what was so terrifying to me was people who did not believe 
they have not come to be saved or, you know, believe in Jesus and they're going to be left behind and they're going to be here when the Antichrist is running around and doing his thing. And, you know, that's what I was afraid of. I mean, I wasn't worried so much for myself, but I was terrified for family members, for friends, you know, and people that were outside the Southern Baptist Church, you know, who didn't that, you know, I wasn't so much worried about them if they didn't believe in dispensationalism, whether they were going to go to heaven or hell. That I never saw it as like a salvation issue. I saw it more of like they're just going to be really surprised, you know, that when it happens, you know, they're going to be shocked when they're raptured up, even though they didn't believe it was a thing. You know, that's that's the way I viewed it. But, I, but for folks who did not believe that terrified me and you live in it, you know, you want to talk, to talk about causing a lot of anxiety in a person who cares about loved ones who do not believe in Jesus. It was terrifying, man. And I, and I hated that. It always seemed like it, when I was here, it preached. It always sounded like it was being used as a as a fear based uh, sermon. You know, I hate fear based theology. I can't stand it because it's not it's not it doesn't sound anything like Jesus to me. And, you know, but I think that now back then I was, you know, I'd be preaching the rapture and or telling people, telling people about the rapture. And if you don't get saved, what happened to if uh, you died right now? You know, I bought into all that stuff and it just, you know, and I, my first wife, she was in. Uh, United Pentecostal. I don't know if y'all have, have ever experienced with any UPC folks, but these people, man, I went to church with her one time and she had a couple kids and these kids were running around the sanctuary. And I said, if either one of these kids get up and start acting like that, I'm going to wear them out. I'm not going to have that. But it was terrifying to me. And I, I never went back, but they, and I asked her one time, I said, let me ask you something, because you were, you seem like you're always so afraid of losing your salvation or getting to a point. Like I said, what happens if you sin, you commit a sin, and then the next second you die? Are you going to hell? And she said, yes. I said, does that not terrify you? I said, I don't understand how you can live a life in that with that kind of uh, mentality. I mean, that's not there's nothing there's nothing in the scriptures about that. And, you know, it is Jesus wasn't running around telling people that it's. Where are you getting this from? And I went to the church. I was like, oh, you're getting it from here, you know, and she would have some folks over for Bible studies and I would join them in the Bible study. But remember, I'm in, I'm in Southern Baptist. So you got a Southern Baptist and two or three UPC folks having a Bible study. They got to the point where they stopped coming around. <laughs> they stopped coming over to the house for Bible study. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, just uh, the, the whole the whole it, it's interesting to me. Do, do you guys do you guys dive into this stuff because you you like the conversation? Do you think it's important? Do you think it's uh, it's necessary to learn this stuff as a Christian, or is it just some, an interesting topic for you to learn more about? And John, you can start with that if you want. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of, and it's I think it's kind of an accident, man. It's it's interesting because over the past I think six months, I've been surrounded by a bunch of conversations about like eschatology more so than I have in a really long time. Uh, like I've had more people wanting to talk to me about eschatology over the past six months than people wanted to when COVID started. Like 2020 was like red meat for every dispensationalist walking. Yeah. And like, dude, everything was the Antichrist. COVID was the Antichrist. The vaccine was the Antichrist. Everything was the Antichrist. Like everything was. And so I'm kind of finding weird that all of a sudden everybody's wanting to talk about it now when a lot of that stuff has calmed down. But honestly, man, I had a friend who... I mean, we're talking about eschatology once, and he's like, we should get a group of people together and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about our different views and what scripture says, how you came here and that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is a good idea. 
And then a couple, like a couple months later, I was like, Hey, what would you think if we made this an episode of the podcast? Would you be cool with that? Oh, uh, you cool with being recorded? You cool with being on the internet for the rest of your life talking about this? Like, is that something you're fine with? <laughs> and he was on board. Micah was on board with it. I've got a couple other people who were like, yeah, this, that'd be cool. We can go ahead and do that. And so we were able to get somebody like some people with an Amil belief, a post mill belief. And I was able to find uh, one Dispy guy that was willing to be on it. And he's not even like a hardcore like Dispy. He's just kind of like, this is what I believe. If somebody wants to change their mind, they're welcome to. He's not like really like hardcore into it. He's a really, he's, he's a good guy. And so we did one recording and then uh, a, I had like uh, quite a few people come back to me and say, hey, they, they really liked it. Uh, I've got some questions. Um, and like the number of people who've come back to me and said, I didn't know that there was other views. I was only taught what y'all were calling dispensationalism. I didn't know there was other stuff. And so like in regards to total view counts, those are not our best episodes. But as far as like, I would say like impact wise, those are probably some of our, our best ones. And so one, one episode went well, we did another one. And then we're trying to do a, a third one. We're trying to get another third one to, on the calendar. Uh, but I mean, eschatology is a weird thing. Like, do I think it's important? Like, yes. But I, I think some people go way too like hard into it. Um, the kind of like stuff that, uh, Greg, you were talking about, like with your background, like that's just too, like, that's just too ridiculous. Um, like predicting the end of the world is not cool. Uh, scary people to about with the rapture isn't, isn't cool. Um, I mean, like, there's some people, it seems like their faith started with eschatology and their faith, that's all it, it ever really, all it, it really is. I mean, so like, it is, it is important, um, but I don't think it should be like the, the end all be all for like everything within who you like, who you are as like, as a Christian, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like I said earlier, if it's, that's all you're hearing in church. I mean, that was, it, it, that, and this was one church. I know I went and attended another Southern Baptist church. Later on, it was much bigger, and they they didn't talk about it hardly at all, if any. And if, and if they did mention something like that, it just came up. Just you knew what they were saying, but they weren't preaching the raptures happening. You know, you know. And, they, and I was I bought into it so much at the time when I was printing newspapers. I was reading everything about Israel and watching everything that you know we you know all the all the world news and national news. I was watching all that stuff because of what I believed when it comes came to the rapture, and, and so I was so focused on on that. And there's just there's other things that we should be talking about, I think, as Christians, you know, trying to get people to come to an understanding of Christ instead of trying to scare them into it. I just it just doesn't I, I used to and I just don't believe that's the way. It's not something I ever saw Jesus doing either. We didn't mention it earlier, but you just mentioned it now. I mean, like if I'm wrong, just let me know. But generally speaking, within the mill and post mill eschatologies, we don't believe that the nation of Israel has any favoritism. That seems to be a dispensationalist thing. And that's another major thing that there's a there's a distinguishing difference on. Yeah, the book of the book of Revelation and then the book of Daniel are two of the main spots where dispensationalists draw a lot of their um, information from. I'll say information, not as a slam, but as just you know, is what it is. So there's a lot of apocalyptic language in there, a lot of symbolic language, um, a lot of things that were fulfilled in history already. So um, the number six 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 that was code for Nero's you know uh, Nero's name, um, 
it wasn't, you know, it's not going to be some sort of tattoo on your forehead or on your, you know, your hand to, in order to be able to go, you know, buy and sell. Um, the Antichrist is not necessarily one specific person, but rather there are people and there are things that are Antichrist, like against Christ. They set themselves up against Christ. So there's a lot of like, it's almost an overrealized literalism that they apply to some of these texts that are very, very symbolic and very metaphorical in some senses. Like you've got a dragon coming out of the sea. Oh, what does that mean? Is that going to be a real dragon? You know, um, is that going to be, um, does that stand for something? All right. You know, what, what is, what is the, uh, what are these locusts flying? Are they actually Apache attack helicopters? You know, so, <laughs> there's a, and that's, I've heard that. And of course, if you've read left behind, you probably heard some similar stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of things that are kind of taken to a, I don't know, kind of an extreme or a extreme literalism that aren't meant to be literal because the Bible is full of different genres of literature. Doesn't mean that it, there's nothing useful in those books for us, but it, it, you know, it's not going to be, um, applicable in the same ways as say the epistles or, you know, um, the gospels. Just talking about the importance of eschatology, I think it is important. I don't, I don't consider it of first importance, but it really does have an impact in how you live your life. Like you, you even shared some stories about, you know, living in fear or having people who lived in fear because of the doctrine of the rapture um, or, you know, dispensationalism. I'd say for post mill, um, a lot of them, a lot of the, there's a lot of reformed that are post mill and they are, that informs their beliefs and their actions. So they want to make the world more Christian and make the world a better place. So that informs how they view government and how they view the church and how they view, you know, all these things interacting, um, you know, uh, people who fall into the dispensational camp, they tend to have a literal view of Israel. And so we need to be, you know, they think that the church is, you know, just this kind of parentheses in God's timeline and eventually God's going to go back to ethnic Israel and bring them back into the fold. Um, when, you know, Amil and post mill would, would disagree with that. So I would say there is a lot of implications for how you live your life. I'm not sure there is the, it's not at the same level as implications about your salvation or, um, you know, your day to day kind of, sanctification, but there is some implications there for, you know, bigger, bigger picture things. I think. Hey, y'all, are y'all familiar with uh, John Hagee, the blood moon stuff? Yeah. The blood moon. Have you seen the meme that comes out with the, with the, the, the Hagee man that comes out with the blood moon? Did you leave out milk and cookies for Hagee for the blood moon? Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> That's that meme is on my phone somewhere. <laughs> hey folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, and send us an email at the Bad Roman Podcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Do y'all want to switch to uh, City Square a little bit and tell us what y'all are doing with that? Yeah, man, that'd be cool. Absolutely. 
Awesome. So what what was the uh, what was the the idea behind it, and what what made y'all want to start a podcast? You know, that it, it, how long have y'all been doing this now? Was it been six months? Maybe I was going to say six months. You have to know by now how much work goes into the podcast. It was something that was kind of surprising to me. That's why I've got different people working on the project with you know doing different things. I got somebody that does show notes for us, and of course our producer does all the artwork, and she handles the website, and then she'd also does all the editing for the show. So it's easier for me to just get behind a microphone and scream at people. And then they can do all the other stuff with it. And I can just go to sleep. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I, how I function. Honestly, it's John and Emily. Do most of the work. <laughs> just, I just supply them with cigars and be like, thank you. You guys are good friends. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Man. I was like, cause my wife does probably most of the producing. And so we just basically pay her with cigars and memes and it works out. <laughs> cigars and memes for your wife. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> True love. Yeah. So tell what about City Square? I'm, I'm interested in the name too. The name, I, I love y'all's logo. I don't know, you know, who designed that for you, but that's a pretty cool logo. And I'm kind of curious about the name, but tell, what, tell me about the logo and then tell me about City Square and what y'all are trying to do with this podcast. You want to tell about the logo and I'll show the rest. Um, it's really related to the, the name of the podcast and kind of the philosophy behind it. So they're all kind of interrelated, but I'll, I'll tackle a little bit and then I'll let John jump in. We actually were really fond of the concept of the city gate or the city square. Kind of, you were thinking kind of, you know, back in Proverbs where the elders of the city sat in the gate and had conversations and conducted business and, you know, and we enjoy kind of the, over COVID, we had a lot of conversations over Zoom and Skype and whatever we were using at the time with a bunch of friends. And we really enjoyed that a lot. And so that got our wheels turning. Do we want to do a podcast, right? So one of the the, the problems, though, is City Gate is like, there's like 7,000 churches that are called City Gate. And there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of podcasts and a lot of online content websites that are already city gate. So we had to kind of go back to the drawing board, toss some different ideas around. And then we kind of came on to the concept of the city square, which is what we were looking to do. We wanted to talk to people about stuff that mattered. And we kind of wanted to focus more on the ordinary side of things. You know, neither of us are celebrities or ever going to be celebrities. And we didn't really want to you know, like Joe Rogan's super successful, right? But he's got comedians and, you know, the who's who of every single industry is coming on his podcast. And we are talking to normal people who, if they have a podcast, they have 20 subscribers, you know, or they, they maybe, maybe they run a, a, a really niche religious meme page, you know, um, so the logo came about because we were we were kind of tossed around ideas for the, the name. We settled on the name, and then we started. And I say we because I really had a very, very tiny, tiny part compared to John and Emily. Um, but we tossed around, you know, the concepts of like different buildings and church, and you know, you want to bring in imagery that kind of communicates what your podcast is about. So that's how we sort of ended up there. And I like the color scheme we use. We have a couple different things we go in between, and I have a shirt from one of my favorite strongmen that had a similar theme on it. So we ended up on those colors, at least initially. Very cool. John, tell me, tell, tell me about the, about the show. Yeah. man. So just kind of starting off a little bit of like what Micah said, um, we wanted to kind of like talk to ordinary, regular people about like their faith and their work. And so because kind of like you were saying with the, with the Rogan thing and you grew up in the SBC, and so like the SBC loves conferences and that kind of stuff. 
And it's like, you ever go to like a conference or something, you're always going to hear from the exception to every story. And so we didn't really want to, even if we could, we didn't want to tell a lot of the, ex- the stories that were the exception to the rule. I mean, we wanted to hear like from, we wanted to hear the stories and the backgrounds and the journeys of the regular everyday person, uh, the people that you can relate to who have gone through a lot of the same struggles that you had, who whatever successes they've had are the kind of successes that regular people have. And we just kind of want to see like where like their faith and work kind of, kind of mixed together. And so, I mean, we've talked with uh, entrepreneurs, we've talked with like small town bivocational pastors, and we've talked to people who like, like micro corporate drones trying to like to navigate through life like that. I've talked to like some, some small town, like parachurch ministers and, um, and so like just regular people, man, just kind of like here, like, Hey, who are you? Like, where did you start? What were your stops on the way? And how did you get to where you're at now? And so like we've people who, some people grew up in like fundamentalist churches and now they're, they've along the journey along the way, they might've like stopped there. Like, Hey, like I've been reading, studying church history. I've been studying theology. Lutheranism makes sense for makes sense. Or um, somehow I stumbled into like uh, reformed theology and like, I've been plugging into like a pick uh not Pentecostal geez, a Presbyterian church or like a Baptist church or um just different different things like that, man. Like I got to uh, have a from when I was church planning on West Texas, I got to have a uh, a guy on the podcast who was one of my college students when I was church planning. And now like he's a associate youth pastor at a church in Houston and we got to share his story about like him growing up that he grew up Catholic and like he, he went to college and talk about the time that we did ministry in West Texas and now he's in Houston and he's been married for a year. And like, we just, we guys talk about all that different kind of stuff. And so like, I, I think there's like, there's a lot of power in that. Right. And so like, when you look at the Bible, you see that there's a lot of, like a lot of stories in the Bible. Uh, Jesus told parables that were familiar to the people and people relate to stories. They remember stories. It's easy for people to engage in stories, especially when it's a story that, like that makes sense and fits to you as opposed to the guy on stage who's just had his third book become a New York times bestseller. Um, and like that, that's, that speaks to people and uh, it speaks to all of us and we all enjoy it. It's, it's, it's valuable. Yeah. I love it. I mean, and, you know, I, and I love listening to Joe Rogan podcast, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations on, on there as well, but what I, but I love what you guys are doing because, you know, I, I hear people say, well, and I don't know where y'all if y'all call yourself libertarians or not or, or whatever, but you know, I do. You do you? Okay, so I don't know. <laughs> but you'll hear somebody say, "Well, are you really a, a libertarian if you don't have a podcast?" You know, and then, <laughs> and then they're making jokes about it and picking on on folks about everybody making a podcast. And I look at it differently. I I, I want. I'm always excited to see a new podcast come out because I like the fact you know that you you're just having conversations with regular folks like we do on this one too. And it's people really resonate with it. They're going to they they they, they want to hear from somebody, somebody that they it's kind of on their level yeah. on some things, you know, instead of somebody that's might have three books or or whatever or is famous or whatever. And, and then there's value in those conversations, too. But I think it I think a lot of folks um, do really kind of latch on to that, you know, with what we do with the Bad Roman, too, just having conversations with some friends, you know, and. You're going to get different perspectives across the board. It's something that I've tried to do so much with this show is get as many different perspectives as possible. And people can just kind of listen and pick 
you know, what makes sense to them. Because if it was just me doing a solo podcast all the time, I don't know how much how much of a following we would have. Probably not much. You know, there might be some that, you know, a few that hang out and listen to Craig scream into a microphone. But I don't know for sure that it would be very many. And we've, we've done pretty well over the past three years. We've got several subscribers. You know, I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but just across the board, I know there's a bunch. And I, I know by all the messages I get from folks, too, that have latched on to it. So I think it's really cool what you are doing. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Because we need it can be it can it can drag you down trying to, you know, trying to keep it going and stuff. But the long you know, you've been doing it for six months. We're going on just now three years of, of publishing episodes. And sometimes it turns if it, I had a guy on the show and he goes, sometimes it feels and he's doing his own editing and he's doing all of his own stuff for his own podcast. He goes, sometimes it feels like a second job. And I don't do all that stuff, but sometimes it feels like a second job. And usually when I'm complaining about that, it's during our busy season at work when I'm working. 60 plus hours a week, you know, and trying to fit in a podcast episode to keep our commitments to publish every two weeks, you know, so everybody knows there's going to be a bad Roman episode every two weeks. And, but at the same time, I get, I, I find a lot of joy in doing this too, getting to talk to, talk to everyday people and getting to meet new folks like uh, Micah here, you know, so I, you know, I, I feel like I've made a new friend now so that, and we'll see what happens later on. I don't, he's not a football fan, so we could probably stay remain friends. I don't know how long mine and your relationship's going to last, uh, John, but we'll see how that goes next football season. Every time the Cowboys is a game, man, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of support John and his, his, you know, his haterade consuming, consuming. It's fun because, you know, people get salty, but everyone knows he's just messing around at this point. So got to make some new friends, John, so they think you're being serious. <laughs> I don't really take it seriously. Some of it is pretty funny. I mean, used to, there was a time in my life as a Cowboy fan that I would, I was very sensitive to stuff like that. Now I just kind of laugh about it because, you know, you know, speaking of the COVID stuff, whenever all that was going on, they shut down sports and then they started bringing it back with piped in crowd noise and cardboard cutouts in the stand and stuff. I just quit watching. I could not, I, I could not watch it. And I didn't watch football an entire year. I tried one game, the very first game of the season. The Cowboys were playing the Rams in L.A., and there were cardboard cutouts in the stands, and they were piping in crowd noise. And I'm like, this is the – this is." and there was one game somebody told me it was during the Patriots were playing somebody, and the crowd, the piped-in crowd noise was booing a, a, a referee's call. <laughs> and they were like – the announcer's like, the crowd didn't like that call. And the guy's like, there's no crowd. Yeah, man, that was – It's not a crowd. <laughs> It was brutal. I'm a big college basketball fan. As you know, living in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas for 25 years, I became a huge Razorback fan. You know, and the, that that year, I took off for the SEC tournament to watch the Razorbacks. The Razorbacks played Vanderbilt, beat Vanderbilt. The next day, they shut it down. <laughs> and I got back to work, and I was like, "How did that tournament go for you?" And this is before anybody really knew what was going on with COVID. You know, and I was like, "I couldn't believe it." I mean, I had all this planned for the weekend to watch basketball for four days, and they shut it down. I was so angry. The first time I knew that the COVID stuff was like bullshit was, you know, cause there was all, all sorts of uncertainty and like, we don't know what's going on and everyone's going to die. And, you know, <laughs> we'll just do what the government says. And, you know, the first, but the first time I realized that there was nothing to it was when my daughter couldn't go to her classroom. She couldn't go to her new school, but her daycare hosted a virtual classroom. So she could go, to be in a classroom at her daycare with a whole bunch of other kids 
all on their iPads, <laughs> looking at, you know, with their teachers at different schools in an empty classroom, teaching them. And these are kindergartners and first grade and second grade. And I, I looked at my wife, I'm like, and I said something I'm not going to say um, on air. Um, it's like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> She can't be in that classroom with those kids, but she can be in this classroom with those with these kids. <laughs> like that was the first time that I was like, "Oh, the emperor no, has no clothes." Yeah, this. Well, I mean, when it first started, I I didn't buy into it at all. I mean, I understood, you know, I, and giving grace to some folks that were worried about it and and do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But I was like, wait a second, it's flu season. You know, I mean, I, what is going on here? I didn't buy into it. And I never, you know, I'm highly claustrophobic. So the whole mask thing was something that I battled for a long time because I couldn't wear one. I had to go through a whole lot of stuff at work on that. And my doctor wrote me a note. She tried to get me to wear a face shield and she saw how I reacted to it. I said, you don't understand the proximity to something like that on my face is going to make me, it's going to freak me out. And so she, she was very helpful in, in, in letting me getting me around all that stuff and when they were trying to make us where I'm at work and all this stuff. So that would I be, mean, that was cool. But, you know, I just, I didn't buy into it. I didn't, I never did. And I'm, I'm happy now that people are kind of waking up to, to it and realizing that, okay, we've been lied to, but are you going to remember this? The next thing, when the next thing comes up, are you going to remember what they did to us during COVID? Are you going to remember that? I don't think you will. All right. Before I let you guys go, this is, I've really enjoyed this, but I want, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Now you're Lutheran, Micah, and you said you're reformed and I'm neither. But so when I listen to reformed folks talk and Lutherans talk, there's some, a lot of similarities in some of the language that you guys use, but there's gotta be some differences. Could you maybe tell me what the differences might be? The two biggest differences are probably on baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so and I'm still trying to work. I'm still trying to understand the third side of this because I just have a hard time understanding it. Um, they believe that, in a sense, that the the bread and the wine, in a sense, is the body and blood of Christ, but not the same way the Catholics believe it. Whereas within the Reformed traditions, we don't believe that the bread and the the wine are his physical body, but we do believe that. Um, Christ is present in the partaking. And um, within the Reformed tradition, there is not a belief that baptism does save, but in a certain way, the Lutherans do believe that. And within the Reformed tradition, there is a lot of disagreement. Some Reformed people baptize babies like Presbyterians do, but other, and like Reformed Baptists don't baptize babies. Uh, they practice believers' baptism. Those would probably be the two biggest uh, differences. Uh, we both love Martin Luther. Uh, that's a big commonality. The question is, would Martin Luther love you? I don't. I don't even know if he'd like me. Um, <laughs> he would. He would, man, because we we would have no issue having a beer together, <laughs> and we would both talk crap about the Pope together. That's true. True. So we'd be fine, man. <laughs> yeah. So I think in the scholastic debates and in the more like theological debates, the big issue is over Christology, um, which I won't. I honestly probably can't get into because it's very. It's way beyond my pay grade, but because because there are these these two um, elements of disagreement, mainly over the Lord's Supper and baptism, um, there are implications for that in other in uh, these other doctrines like Christology and, and ecclesiology and that sort of thing. So, doctrine of who Christ is and how He you know relates to us and how He comes to us, and the doctrine of you know 
how the church functions, that sort of thing. And so, and there's a lot of different Lutheran groups as well. So there's the, the largest synod in, um, in the U.S. is the ELCA, which is a very liberal synod, very, like very liberal. In every, in every area you could think they're liberal in, they are liberal in. And then I'm part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is a very conservative and confessional, conservative theologically and, and what we call confessional body. There are a few others like uh, the Wells, which is the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And there are some smaller ones as well that are in fellowship with one or the other. So yeah, I'd say the the main how those differences in Christology flesh out are are the Lord's Supper um, and baptism. Uh, and you know, Lutherans, we uh, you know at the bottom, we get to the bottom of our theology, and we really um, we really just want to say this is what the Bible says, and in a very simple manner, this is what the Bible says, and I believe it. So when Jesus says to his disciples, take and eat, this is my body. Lutherans say, okay, that is, Jesus says, this is his body. So we have, we believe that. However, he was also holding a piece of bread. So it is therefore in Lutheran theology, we consider that to be both bread and his body. And we consider the wine to be both wine and his blood. And we would then stop and say, we don't know how that happens, but we believe Jesus could do what he wants and we trust his word. With Roman Catholics, um, and, and let me just go back a little bit. The real presence—that's kind of what's referred to as the real presence, or the some people would say physical presence, even though that's not a term that Lutherans would want to use. Um, that real presence of some sort is kind of the majority historical view. So, Anglicans, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Orthodox Christians, um, and other uh, some Reformed um, denominations as well. Um, would hold to those. So it's really the majority view um, in history and in the in the, the global church. How that functions is a varies a little bit according to church bodies. So just for example, the Roman Catholics they believe in transubstantiation, which they say when the words of institution are uttered by the priest or the pastor, then it it ceases to be bread and wine and becomes only body and blood. So there's a different philosophical approach um, to it there. Uh, with some Reformed, they would say we are spiritually partaking. It's not Christ's real body and blood, but we partake spiritually, and there's a spiritual reality that we're not fully able to understand. So you know, and, and of course, your your theology there does have implications on how you know you live your life. Does that forgive sins? You know, does the act of eating and drinking forgive sins? Um, and it's really, there's, there's some, there's a whole rabbit hole of awesome, in my opinion, awesome, uh, symbology and, uh, meaning there. Um, but I would take up a lot of time, I think. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm underqualified <laughs> to speak about a lot of this stuff. So, well, maybe y'all can answer this for me then. Was it actual wine? Because my Southern Baptist preacher told me it was grape juice. So that's. It wasn't grape juice until I think around the 1850s. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's how old he it was. It was a Methodist minister that actually started that. Really? And that's who, that's who Welch's grape juice is named after. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that until about a year ago. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. I had a, on our Facebook page, I don't even remember what our post was about, but this guy came on and said, they weren't actually drinking wine. It was juice. I'm like, I don't know, man. It says wine. It says Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, it didn't. 
they didn't have refrigeration. So good <laughs> luck trying to keep grapes from, you know, not fermenting with no refrigeration. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> silly. They almost start fermenting immediately. It's really silly. Now they can argue about alcohol content if you want, but the, the, fu- you know, when Jesus turned water into wine is his first miracle. And the, the guests at the wedding came up and said, dude, that's the best wine we've ever had after they had well drunk. You know, they didn't come up to him and say, dude, we feel so good. We're having such a good time. This grape juice is lit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't get happy off of grape juice, you know, <laughs> you know unless, you, unless you've been on like a fast for 40 days and you want some sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't hold water, you know, the, the grape juice arguments. It just doesn't hold water. Yeah, man. Like pasteurization didn't start so less than 200 years ago. It's just ridiculous. It's insane, actually, to argue that it was actually just regular grape juice. Jesus made good drink. I, I, I didn't believe him when he was saying it. I just, but I wasn't going to argue with him about it either. <laughs> but for some reason, he was. He made it a point to say that it was grape juice. When we did do the Lord's Supper, we weren't drink. We were drinking grape juice and having a cracker. We weren't having wine, and you don't you don't do that in a Southern Baptist church. There's a joke about Southern Baptists showing up to the liquor store. You don't. <laughs> you're not. I can't even remember how the joke goes, but it's pretty funny. You're not, you're, you're, or maybe that you're, you're Catholic. Uh, if you're Catholic, you'll, you'll say hi to somebody in a liquor store. If you're Baptist, you're going to act like you don't, you don't know them. You're going to ignore them. Yeah. It's like if you, if you want, if you take a Baptist fishing, you got to take two of them because if you take one, he'll drink your beer. But if you take two of them, then you're, you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I started um, following you guys on, on Instagram, but where else can, um, folks find y'all at as far as you know social media where we can find your podcast i know y'all are on youtube but where else facebook instagram uh youtube if you wanted to get into alts media we're also on rumble and odyssey right on right on, we're on yeah we're on spotify too and we upload to all the major podcasting platforms like apple podcasts and all that sort of thing so we do have a link tree we can send you that has a list of all those there Okay, cool. Yeah, we might, uh, when we get ready to publish the episode, I'll show notes. I'll get that from you guys. Awesome, guys. I appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on and speaking. We've been trying to do this for a couple of weeks now. John had some unexpected guests and he got sick. And then now we're here we are today, but we got it done. Go check out City Square Podcast. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having us on. Yes, sir. I'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.